Well, thanks for the opportunity to speak at this anniversary service. Uh, it's an honor, and I praise God for His grace in preserving First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower throughout the many decades to the praise of God's glorious grace. That is, after all, what God is about in His church. And one 19th century pastor put it this way, The church is the mirror that reflects the whole effulgence of the divine character. It is the grand scene in which the perfections of Jehovah are displayed to the universe. It's an amazing image, isn't it? It means that God's plan is to use this church and every single gospel-preaching, gospel-believing church to reflect His very character to the watching world. As Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Uh, please join me, if you haven't already, by turning to the book of Ephesians, and we look at God's plan to display His glory to the watching world. And we start there in chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. But as we do that, we'll be looking at various passages in the book and consider what they have to say about this particular subject. The letter of the Ephesians, to the Ephesians was written by a man, the Apostle Paul. A man called of God to give his life, to lay down his life, to bring in the gospel message to the Gentiles, to non-Jews, and to see churches planted and then churches strengthened, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. He says there, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Well, God intends to display His glory, His character to the watching world, but the question is, how exactly will God accomplish this through the churches represented here at this gathering? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, God, God's glory is displayed through gospel preaching in the church. Number one, God's glory is displayed through gospel preaching in the church. It's a very basic point, isn't it? After all, many of you all here today are actually preachers. But you know what? In Scripture, people seem to regularly make the mistake of moving on from the gospel. Whether it be changing the truths of the gospel, so First and Second John, or we can think of Jude, for example, or not living in ways that accord with it. And here we can think of even the Apostle Peter tempted to not live in ways that support sound doctrine. And there is a basic temptation to judge the gospel to be basically insufficient. And so we as men step in, or if you're thinking about evangelism, you step in to fill in its insufficiency. You fill in the gaps. You add a little bit more power that we think is lacking, absent in the gospel. Paul, though, according to Ephesians chapter 3, knows that God's glory is to be seen in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul's mission is so clear. So go ahead and look there at verse 7. It says the gospel is what Paul serves, right? He is a minister of the gospel of grace. And as a minister of God's grace, Paul's fully aware that God had endowed him with the gifts of grace. 
And then all of this with the grand purpose of preaching God's grace. The unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, he says. So the way that he understands his own calling here, whatever calling has claimed him, whatever gifts have been bestowed upon him, are to go towards the preaching of the message entrusted to him, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in the preaching of the gospel, God's glory, his power to save in Jesus Christ is showcased. So, Pastor, you know, while we are not called to be apostles with a capital A, we are called to herald the gospel, are we not? And this is a task that we've been called to, to re-reveal, as some people say, the glory of God in the gospel week in and week out. I'm sure you guys can, can just think to your own life and then think about the things that you've been watching over the last week. With anything great, you want to see it again and again and again. So if you love basketball... What is it that you want to see? You want to see Steph Curry hit the game-winning, buzzer-beating, half-court three-pointer. If you love gymnastics, maybe you're giving yourselves to replaying on YouTube Gabby Douglas' perfect floor routine. Or if you love stocks, maybe you want to relive the fact that your stocks are skyrocketing into the atmosphere and you watch it again, you glory again. As you watch it again, you praise again. You celebrate again, and so it is with the gospel. In our weekly preaching of the gospel from all of Scripture, we hold out Christ to marvel in, marvel at, and glory in. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You see here that, uh, I wish we could tear through all of Ephesians, but uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 are a magnificent example of what it is that Paul wants his readers to glory in and to marvel at. Look there at verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. He's just reminding them of the natural sinful condition of man in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's obviously the bad news. And if you're visiting with us today as a non-Christian, this is simply the news that the Bible holds out as this is our condition. We are children of wrath because we've rebelled against our very own creators. He designed us to be in a relationship with him. That's bad news. But where it becomes something to glory in is in the next very verse. But God. That's the sovereign grace of God. Divine intervention intervention entering in all the way going down into the very depths of man's depraved heart. But God. Being rich in mercy. So Paul here, he showcases, if he's going to hit YouTube, if you can even watch this, he's showcasing God's riches in mercy. Because, that is the very reason, because of the great love with which He loved us. His love knows no bounds, knows no limits of how deep it could actually go. It goes all the way down into the depths of the depraved man's heart. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved. There's another thing. It's not only God's riches of mercy. It's not only His great love. It is Jesus Christ. And it is the fact that He has raised us. He has made us together alive in Jesus Christ. 
We can keep on going. So that, here's the purpose, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So not only does he reach all the way down, he picks us all the way up so that at a future time, his grace from eternity past would continue into eternity future. The purpose is, though, in the coming ages, he might show, bestow, shower upon us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Can't save ourselves. We were the ones who got ourselves into the problem. We certainly can't deliver ourselves so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what it is that Paul wants us to relive and to glory in again and marvel at again, week in and week out. And so if you attend First Southern Baptist Church, I know PJ and PJ is preacher of the gospel. And so you hear him calling as I call you to turn from your sins and believe and to marvel at this. Forget Steph Curry. Forget your own stock portfolio, whether it's tanking or skyrocketing. If you want to marvel in something, you marvel in salvation given to us all by the grace of God. Pastors, you know that what we preach on is a really good reflection about what you marvel at and glory in. And then not only that, though, but what we preach on is what we tell our congregation what is worthy to marvel at and glory in. This is why I think it's a great thing to make a concerted effort to let the word of God guide our preaching. He has already revealed for us what is worthy to marvel at and to glory in. That is the word of God. This is why preachers go about preaching expositionally, where we take the main point of the passage and make that the main point of the sermon so that we let God's agenda guide our preaching agenda. So we want to make sure that we fight to make sure that we're not straying, but we're going back to the very thing that we ought to marvel at. In his word, he has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I'm not opposed to topical preaching. After all, I'm preaching a topical sermon right now. Our church is probably going to go through a topical series very soon. But I think the best steady diet a church can have is the word of God given to God's sheep through the expositional preaching of his word, as all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let us then dedicate ourselves to the re-revealing of the power of God to save in the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are, after all, the very things that Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3. He says that these are the things that are of first importance. That Jesus Christ dies on the cross for sin, bearing the wrath that his people deserved. And then on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Second, God's glory is displayed as the gospel gathers the church. God's glory is displayed as the gospel gathers the church. Here, what I'm thinking of is God's glory displayed in the supernatural reconciliation made possible only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was huge on Paul's mind. So he's teaching here, he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church where Jew and Gentile who had previously had beef with one another that went back centuries, they clearly have a hostility against one another. But now in Christ, they are brought near as the passage that PJ read earlier so clearly states. But because Paul 
Or, but Paul says, because of the blood of the Son, true reconciliation is actually now possible. Look there at 2.13. It says, but now... In Christ Jesus. So you see there the sphere. You see where we can lay hold of this unity. You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And you see what the work of Christ produces there in verse 14. It brings unity and it brings peace. The fact that God was going to make for himself one new man out of two hostile people. You know, that was uh, made known. That was prophesied and promised to Abraham in the book of Genesis. As one from his line would then go on and be a blessing to all nations. But what was not revealed in the Old Testament was how God was going to do this. However, what was promised in the Old Testament was then fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus Christ. But now, chapter 311, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized or carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was previously concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look there at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what about the glory of God does this display? The answer is the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. Gospel reconciliation is a unique reconciliation unlike any other organizations in the world why is that because reconciliation between man is made possible because god reconciled us to himself first he reconciles sinners to himself and then he goes on and says go and be reconciled with others so think about god for example dumping out this big container of grace into yet another container god's grace doesn't only go all the way down but it goes all the way out. That's how much there is. You drop one little dropper of grace and so it might hit the bottom if it is limited. But if God's grace is unlimited, he dumps it out. It goes all the way down. It goes all the way out. Reconciliation between man and God, sinners and God. And therefore reconciliation is possible between man and man. God's grace doesn't only go all the way down. It goes all the way out. You know what helps us see God's glory in his power to reconcile through the cross? It is never forgetting who God conquered on the cross. So some of us might be tempted to think, oh, this is not a big deal. But if we go back to remember who God conquered on the cross, then we are reminded of how supernatural this is. Satan is the one who is behind all of man's hostility. He's been sowing seeds since the very beginning, sowing seeds of division, hostility and anger, bringing a crowbar between man and God and man and man. But at the crucifixion, Satan, like he launches his strongest attack, what he thinks is the most devastating, most crippling attack against God's plan of grace as the nations raged against Jesus Christ, nailing him to the cross. But of course, God does what he does. And in meekness. God displays his great power in Christ dying on the cross. God mocks the devil as he defeats him, bearing the worst of hostilities. God brings about the greatest peace through Christ's death and resurrection. Those once hostile to God are made one with him. And through Christ, those once hostile to each other are made at one in him. And so Christ's church is enabled to give grace across the whole breadth that covers the world. 
because we've been given grace that descends down into sin's very depths. As Ephesians 4, 32, Paul there, he redirects us and says, look, you guys need to forgive. Let me tell you where you get the grace to forgive. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Supernatural unity made possible in the cross as God gathers his people together in one new man in the gospel. I wonder for you guys, is God's glory and the reconciling power of Christ seen across your congregation? God's grace being experienced across the breadth of your congregation? Is it as you all, according to Ephesians 4, 3, fight to eagerly maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Friends, gospel unity is such a fragile thing, isn't it? Because what threatens gospel unity is our very own sinfulness. But not only that, you just look across this, this, this group gathering right here. People from all different backgrounds. People from all sorts of different cultures learning to get along all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what God calls us to do is lay aside our preferences in order that we might unite around the one thing. The one thing powerful enough to unite previously hostile people. That is Jesus Christ. And who knows, maybe some of you here have differences that are hard to get over as you're tempted to let second order things or even third order things divide you. Maybe some of you guys like singing hymns. Others of you like singing modern praise choruses. Some are from this culture and I don't understand the way they do leadership. I don't understand their communication all the time. And so you're tempted to let that divide. Isn't it so much easier to go and find fellowship with the people that are in your own same age group, your own same background. But here in the book of Ephesians, you have Jew and Gentile brought together all because of Jesus Christ. Friends, in our effort to be unified in Jesus Christ, we should let Christ be our example. Even though we were of sinful flesh, Christ chose to take on our likeness. Even though man had punched him, spat on him and mocked him, he chose to extend his hand of grace. Christ is our example of what it looks like to lay aside preferences as he laid aside all the glory that he rightly deserved, all the praise he rightly deserved in order to identify with sinners. And so as we walk, as he walked, we put on, so to speak, the drama of our Savior's love again and again and again in every instance where forgiveness can cover over division. And that's what your fellow church members see and what the watching world sees. Not perfection, but supernatural reconciliation based in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, God's glory is displayed through the gospel transformation of the church. God's glory is displayed through gospel transformation of the church. Not only does God save us in Christ, not only does he unite us together in Christ, he also transforms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ so that as the church walks as the body of Christ in the world, they see Christ the head. What about God's glory is seen? Well, the power of God to transform. And transformation is a powerful witness. So in our church, you know, when we baptize people, we have them give their testimonies. In the last handful of testimonies that we've had at the church, we see people come out of drug addiction. We see people come out of living a sexually immoral lifestyle. We see people coming out of uh, living a, a moral lifestyle, seeking to obey all of God's law, but knowing that they cannot. And how awesome is it to see these people stand up there and confess these sins and say, this is who I am. And God's grace has reached all the way down to save and transform me. That's what we see when people give their testimonies. 
when we see people make their public profession through baptism. And this transformation boasts, doesn't it, of the transforming power of the gospel. So first, Christ is our pattern. In Ephesians 2, remember that it's all about how we walked in our sins. Well, in Christ, now we walk a different way. Look at Ephesians 4.1. Now we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Ephesians 4.8. Walk like our Heavenly Father as children of light. 4.24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Christ is our pattern. But not only that though, Christ is our method. We, it says that, that we were taught in Jesus Christ there in chapter 4, verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about Him as we were taught in Him. As the truth is in Jesus Christ. Christ is our pattern. Christ is our method. And Christ is our end. We who are being transformed into holiness. The church then grows up into the full stature of Jesus Christ there in verse 13. We grow up into Him who already is holy and loving and gracious and pure. Christ is our pattern. Christ is our method. Christ is our end. You know, one of the ways that churches can best protect the beauty and the holiness of the church is to practice meaningful church membership and then also corrective church discipline. A a biblical distinctive of the Baptists is something called regenerate church membership, meaning that the membership of the church ought to be reserved for those who actually love the Savior. And the way churches have been acting on these convictions is through a, a membership process. And at its basic level, it's discipling young believers to see if they actually truly believe in Jesus Christ. It's helping them count the cost of following Jesus Christ. And then also to see them publicly own their faith through baptism. Unfortunately, some churches, and I've been part of them, they do nothing more than hand out cards for people to fill in, not bothering about their testimony, not discipling them, not helping them count the cost, and maybe not even seeing that they are obeying Jesus' first command, physical command, which is to be baptized. So one way we can protect the church purity is by practicing meaningful church membership in our church uh, we go through, and I know uh, in many churches, uh, we have a membership class. And there we lay out the statement of faith. We teach, look, this is what you're getting yourself into. This is what we believe the Bible teaches. And then we also have a church covenant. That is how we are to live. And we hold out these expectations that God says and calls us to live as we commit ourselves to following after Jesus. Another way that the church can protect the church's purity is by practicing corrective church discipline. In some circles, this word is almost a bad word. Everything of church discipline speaks of being unloving. But according to the Bible, practicing corrective church discipline is the most loving thing you can do to a certain category of people. Those who refuse to repent of their sins and turn back to Jesus Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 5, it says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. So even the watching world knows that what these people are doing is wrong. For a man has his father's wife. That is, a man is sleeping with his stepfather, scholars think. And he says that you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn that him who has done this be removed from among you? That is excommunication in our church. We don't practice that. No, you can never step into church doors. We say you should come to church. The best place you could be. The place where the spirit goes out with his word to transform people's hearts. 
Here's talking about, as I understand it, removing someone from formal church discipline. He goes, or, sorry, formal church membership. He goes on to say, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled to the, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now get this. So that, here's the purpose, so that his spirit may be saved. In the day of the Lord. In my experience, many don't practice corrective church discipline because they say it is unloving. But according to Paul, it's the most loving thing you can do for a certain category of people. Verse 5 says they are to deliver this man to Satan, which is not Satan himself. It is the realm of the world for the destruction of the flesh. That's purifying. So that once again, the purpose, he might be saved in the day of the Lord. Church, corrective church discipline is not retributive. You're not responding in retribution. It is restorative. You want to see the sinner who refuses to repent and believe to continue to repent and believe and turn and cling to Jesus Christ, whose grace is so deep to save even the worst of sinners. So if God desires his churches to do this as an act of love, then who are we to say, no, we will not. Now, we need to take effort to practice church discipline in love, but to throw it out because we've simply not seen it done in love, or maybe people do it with a certain lack of love, uh, it still doesn't give us an option to just simply toss it to the wayside. God doesn't give us an option like that. So if we want to see God's character and holiness displayed in our churches, we must take greater care to see who we see into membership, but then also who we see out of membership. And all of this presents the holiness of Jesus Christ. As you see, this is what it all boils down to. Preaching the gospel of reconciliation of Jesus Christ, as God not only reconciles us to himself in Jesus, and not only that, though, we preach and people see the power of Jesus Christ as he reconciles sinners and sinners together. But then not only that, though, as we hold out the holiness and the beauty of a pure Jesus Christ. All of this is about Jesus Christ, is it not? The very thing that we want to replay and relive and sing his praises and to glory in and marvel at. To conclude, it is through the church that the glory of God is displayed to the watching world. In the church, the world sees nothing less than the body of Jesus Christ as we grow up into his full stature. And it's all about the exaltation of Christ. As the power of God to save is seen through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as the power of God to reconcile sinners is seen, as the gospel gathers people of different backgrounds, different cultures, and makes them into one new man, as he lays down and breaks down the walls of hostility through his blood, and as the power of the gospel to sanctify is seen, as God transforms sinners into saints, all by his marvelous grace. And the church becomes a powerful witness that works to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, what a daunting task it is to display your glory to the watching world. Not only to one another, but to those we live around, those we do life with, those who don't believe. But Lord, we thank you that even in the aspect of displaying your glory, Lord, we can rely on your grace. Even in the aspect of displaying your holiness, we can still rely on your grace. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to such a task.
Father, we pray that we would own our sin and boast of your grace that goes all the way down into the depths of the depraved heart and goes all the way out to the ends of the earth. Father, we pray that every church represented here, Lord, that we truly would go about our task with great diligence and vigilance, displaying the glory of Jesus Christ to the watching world so that many would come to repent and believe in Christ for salvation and be forgiven of their sins, that they might become righteous in your eyes through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we might have a new relationship with the Father reconciled to you and adopted into your very own family. In your name we pray. Amen.